Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel 20. I'm going to read the verses 1 to 32. Ezekiel 20, beginning at the first verse. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my namesake that it should not be profane before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths, to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them from destruction." I did not make an end of them in the wilderness, but I said to to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. 
Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live, and I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts, in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, that I might make them desolate, and that they might know that I am the Lord. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, in this too your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees. There they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. There they also sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, what is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel. As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What you have in your mind shall never be. When you say, we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries, serving wood and stone. So far, the reading of God's holy word. He was a godly man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6 and 7, arrested on false charges, Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin. They accused him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. False witnesses testified against him. They said that Stephen had spoken against the holy place, the temple, and the law. The high priest turned to Stephen and said, Are these things so? Are these charges accurate? Instead of answering the question directly, Stephen gave a lengthy response which included a survey of Israel's history from the calling of Abraham to the building of Solomon's temple. He pointed out that in their history, the nation of Israel was a very stubborn people, 
rebellious against Moses, rebellious in the wilderness, rebellious against the law. They were often guilty of idolatry and unfaithfulness. Then, at the conclusion of his speech, Stephen directly addressed the Sanhedrin and said, you are just like your fathers. You're stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and hard in ears. You resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Your fathers killed the prophets. They murdered those who foretold the coming of Christ. And now you have killed the Christ himself. You are exactly like your fathers. They did not keep the law. You do not keep the law. They resisted the work of God. You resist the work of God. They were transgressors. You are transgressors. They were spiritually rebellious. You are spiritually rebellious. Stephen told his audience that they were following in the footsteps of the unfaithful. When the Sanhedrin heard those words, as you know, they were furious. Their anger against Stephen reached a boiling point. They refused to hear anymore, crying out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen became the first Christian martyr of the New Testament church. Why was he killed, children? Why was he killed? Because of his faithful preaching of the Word. The Sanhedrin did not want to hear about their sin. They did not want to hear that they were stubborn and spiritually rebellious. They murdered a faithful man of God because they were unwilling to listen, believe, and apply God's Word. Well, congregation, as we read Ezekiel 20, we see that the message of this Old Testament prophet to the leaders by the river Chebar in Babylon was very similar to that of Stephen in Acts 7. His message was similar, his audience was similar, and his approach was similar. 600 years before Stephen, Ezekiel proclaimed the word to leaders of the Jewish community in exile and called them to repent, to forsake the sins of their fathers, and to live their lives in obedience to the word. I want us this afternoon to focus on verses 1 to 32 of Ezekiel 20, where the prophet teaches a lesson from history. Ezekiel points out the failure in Egypt, verses 5 through 9, Failure in the wilderness, 10 through 26. Failure in Canaan, 27 to 29. And then he goes on to apply those lessons to his own audience in verses 30 to 32. We begin with failure in Egypt. According to verse 1, the events of chapter 20 took place in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the 10th day of the month, that is August of 591 B.C. It was only five years before the armies of Nebuchadnezzar would destroy the temple. Ezekiel had been exiled for about seven years. For the last two years, he had been actively preaching and prophesying to the captives by the river Chebar. His message for the past two years had been primarily that of judgment and condemnation. Now in chapter 20, we find some of the elders of Israel gathered together to speak to Ezekiel. The reason why these leaders of the exiled community came to him is stated in verse 1. 
They came to inquire of the Lord. They came to inquire of the Lord. By now, the elders must have recognized that Ezekiel was truly a prophet of God, and they came to him with questions, hoping that they would receive some kind of revelation from the Lord. Verse 1 does not tell us exactly what they were inquiring about. They may have wanted to know the length of the exile, or if their condition was going to improve, or if the Lord is going to preserve the city of Jerusalem. Whatever the exact nature of their, of their inquiry, the Lord, through His prophet, told them that He was not going to provide an answer to their questions. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verses 2 and 3. 2 and 3. And the word of the Lord came to be saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Why did the Lord refuse to answer their questions? Because they were not prepared to leave their sin. They were not prepared to devote themselves completely to Him. They wanted God's help, but they didn't want God. They wanted His assistance, but they didn't want Him. Do you recall how King Saul, toward the end of his life, inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him? The Philistines were preparing for war against Israel, and Saul was terrified. We read in 1 Samuel 28, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul's prayer was prompted not by devotion and godly humility, but by anxiety. It was a panic prayer. He was not prepared to part with his sin. Therefore, inquiring of the Lord was an exercise in futility. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear so that he will not hear. Saul's iniquities separated him from the Lord. Isaiah 1.15 says, Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Psalm 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Saul regarded iniquity in his heart, and God refused to answer his inquiries. Well, isn't that precisely what we have here in verse 3 of Ezekiel 20? The elders came to inquire of the Lord, but the Lord said, I will not be inquired of by you. You see, God is not our servant. God is not our servant. We can't expect His help if we're not right with Him. He's not just the great problem solver. Without your love, trust, devotion, and obedience, he will not hear you or come to your rescue. I will not be inquired of by you. Instead, here in Ezekiel 20, the elders received something that they had not expected. Rather than having their questions answered, the Lord gave them a lengthy discourse on Israel's history. 
It is a history of disobedience and failure from the days they were in bondage in Egypt until the present day. Ezekiel had to make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Ezekiel, who at this time was only 32 years old, had to bring a message to the elders and then apply that message in a very pointed way. And so beginning at verse 5, the Lord began to survey the history of Israel starting from their failure in Egypt. In verses 5 and 6, we read of how the Lord chose Israel and made them His own special people. With uplifted hand, He entered into covenant with them, and with uplifted hand, He promised to deliver them from Egypt. He swore an oath saying, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out of the land of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. God lifting his hand was a solemn oath, which meant that he pledged himself to his people. God's covenant promise goes back to the time of Abraham. He promised that his descendants would inherit the land. That promise was repeated when the people of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. But congregation, the point that Ezekiel is making in verses 5 through 9 is this. Before the exodus, while Israel was in Egypt, they were not exactly waiting faithfully for the ancient promises to be fulfilled. They were not devotedly serving God as they anticipated the fulfillment of His Word. While in Egypt, they adopted the religious ways of the Egyptians. They accepted the idolatrous, their idolatrous beliefs and the practices of worship that were prevalent in Egypt. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 7. Verse 7. Then I said to them, each of you, throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now go to verse 8. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. In Egypt, the Israelites could not give up their false worship. Over the years, it became such a part of their life that it was just the norm. Scripture indicates in a number of places that the people serve the gods of Egypt. The idols of Egypt were the idols of Israel. The abominations of Egypt were the abominations of Israel. Because of their idolatry, the Lord would have been perfectly just in pouring out His fury upon them and destroying them along with the Egyptians. But because of His covenant promise, because of the oath he swore, because he raised his hand in an oath to bring them out of Egypt, the Lord did not destroy them. Verse 9 says, But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles. The Israelites in, in Egypt were not preserved because they were a righteous people. They were preserved for his name's sake. 
so that God would not be mocked if God destroyed them. Then the nations of the world would scoff at Israel's God. They would mock his power and his ability to save. Spiritually, the people of Israel in Egypt were rebellious, a complete, utter failure. They were only preserved for the sake of God's name and reputation. Secondly, as we continue in this discourse on Israel's history, we see not only their failure in Egypt, but also their failure in the wilderness. Their failure in the wilderness. In verses 10 through 26, the Lord summarized Israel's conduct in the wilderness after he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He led them out of Egypt, verse 10. He gave them his law, verse 11. He gave them his Sabbath as a sign of his covenant, verse 12. Israel knew exactly what God expected of them. There was no ambiguity, no lack of clarity. At Mount Sinai, the law was given and the sanctity of the Sabbath proclaimed. Brothers and sisters, the law given to Israel at Mount Sinai was a positive blessing, a gracious gift of God for the good of His people. If they honored the law, they would live in peace and harmony, in fellowship with God and man. The Sabbath was also a wonderful gift of God to His people. A sign of His goodness, love, and faithfulness. It was designed as a day of gladness and worship. A day to celebrate the great works of God and to provide both physical and spiritual refreshment. The Sabbath was a day for complete rest, an opportunity to delight in the Lord and to remember that Israel was a nation in covenant with God. It was also a time to remember that they had lived as slaves under their Egyptian taskmasters, but that God had so kindly given them relief. The Sabbath was a picture of salvation by the sovereign grace of God. A reminder that true rest comes from the Lord. The Sabbath, therefore, anticipated the coming of the promised deliverer, the one who would bring spiritual rest and eternal rest to his people. The Sabbath looked forward to the salvation that would be achieved through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Sabbath was not merely a day for physical rest, but also a day for joyful celebration of God's redemption. But congregation, what do we find here in verse 13? We read that the house of Israel, what? Rebelled against God in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. They did not appreciate God's life-sustaining, joy-preserving gifts to them. They did not grasp the value of the law and the privilege of the Sabbath. The people in the wilderness defiled and perverted God's holy day. Instead of embracing the Sabbath as a blessing, they resented it as a day that God had taken away from them. By defiling the Sabbath, they were essentially denying their need of redemption. Their need of the promised deliverer. They were belittling the spiritual rest and eternal rest 
that is found in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath was a sign of God's covenant with Israel. You might say that the Sabbath for Israel was like a wedding band for a husband and wife. When a man and a woman get married, a wedding band is placed on their finger as a symbol of their constant faithfulness and abiding love, a symbol of their covenant. That is what the Sabbath was for Israel. In Exodus 31, the Lord called the Sabbath a sign between me and the children of Israel. Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. As a perpetual covenant. Israel's defiling the Sabbath can be likened to a bride casting off her wedding ring. It was a sign that Israel stood in a special relationship to God. They belonged to Him. By defiling the Sabbath, the people were saying that they did not truly value that special relationship. They did not treasure the covenant between them or cherish the love of their husband. Because of their defilement of the Sabbaths and the rejection of the statutes and judgment of the Lord, God said of them, end of verse 13, have a look there, the end of verse 13, God said of them, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. The nation deserved God's fury in Egypt and they deserved His wrath in the wilderness. Nevertheless, Verse 14 goes on to say that they were not completely destroyed. Once again, the Lord preserved them for His name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles. For the sake of His own name, the Lord did not wipe them out. But He did swear an oath that He would not bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey. Because of their law-breaking, idolatry, and Sabbath-breaking, an entire generation died without ever seeing the promised land. They spent 40 years wandering in the hot desert until a whole generation died off. Then the Lord warned the new generation that was born in the wilderness to stay away from idolatry. He told them to not walk in the ways of their fathers. He told them to honor His statutes, keep His judgments, and hallow His Sabbaths. But the new generation also failed to honor God. They rebelled just as their fathers had done. And again, God said, verse 21b, I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. The new generation also deserved God's wrath, but again, the Lord spared them for His name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles. Even though the new generation had been warned, they still walked in the way of disobedience. They had seen the previous generation perish in the wilderness, but still, still they proved themselves unfaithful. One of the incidents that was especially offensive in the sight of God was the incident at Baal Peor in Moab. 
Shortly before the new generation entered the land of Canaan, they began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They participated in Baal worship and sacrificed to Baal. The Lord was so angry with them that he sent a plague upon them which killed 24,000 people. Think about that, 24,000 people. The idolatry of the second generation was just as intense and grievous as that of their fathers. Therefore, before Israel even entered the land, the Lord swore that he would scatter them among the nations. Look at me, please, to verse 23. I also raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Before the second generation even entered the land, before they set foot in Canaan, the Lord declared that they would be removed from it. The people in the wilderness, both first and second generation, were spiritually rebellious, a tragic failure. They were only preserved for the sake of God's name and reputation. And then thirdly, as we continue this survey of Israel's history, we are reminded not only of their failure in Egypt and their failure in the wilderness, but also their failure in the land of Canaan. Their failure in the land of Canaan. Verse 28 says that when God brought them into the land, which he had sworn to give them, they soon began to imitate the corrupt ways of the Canaanites. They set up shrines on every mountain and hill in the land, and they provoked the Lord with their offerings. Instead of faithfully worshiping at the sanctuary in the manner that God had designed, they offered sacrifices at all the high hills and, and, and all the thick trees. And according to verse 26, they became so perverse that they participated in one of the most disgusting pagan Rituals, they practiced what? Child sacrifice. They caused their firstborn to pass through the fire. In Exodus 22, 29, the Lord said, The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. The firstborn was to be dedicated in a special way to God. It was not to be offered to God, for God did not take pleasure in child sacrifice, but the firstborn was to be dedicated to the Lord. The Israelites, however, sacrificed their firstborn to Molech. They caused them to pass through the fire. Now, congregation, you would think, wouldn't you, that after all that God had done for Israel, they would surely live a life of consecration, obedience, and gratitude. He plucked them out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, led them in the wilderness, gave them his law, gave them his Sabbath, led them across the Jordan, and brought them into the land promised to the patriarchs, a land of milk and honey, grain and wine. You would think that after such marvelous, marvelous grace, the people would have a strong desire to keep God's covenant. He had protected them from all their enemies and given them victory over the inhabitants of Canaan. The Lord had taken a band of slaves and allowed them to inhabit the glory of all lands. 
surely they would have an intense desire to keep God's covenant. But the Lord says that it was not so. They blasphemed me by being unfaithful. They worshipped on the high places, offered their firstborn to to Molech, and despised my judgments and Sabbaths. They did not love me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were unfaithful, ungrateful, unthankful. Brothers and sisters, Why did the Lord tell Ezekiel to give this overview of Israel's history to the elders in captivity? Why did he have to recount the sins of the past? Because the Lord wanted the elders and the people in captivity to know that the failures and sins of the past were being repeated in their own generation, yes, in their own day. Go with me to verse 30. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Ezekiel said, you're just like your fathers. They were unfaithful, you were unfaithful. They rejected the law, you reject the law. They were idolatrous, you are idolatrous. They defile my Sabbaths, you defile my Sabbaths. They play the harlot, you play the harlot. Ezekiel told the elders that they and the people were covenant breakers just like their rebellious fathers. Congregation, what we need to see here is that Israel's persistent rebellion reflected their attitude toward the Christ. Israel's persistent rebellion reflected their attitude toward the Christ. The Lord had promised Abraham that from his seed would come the Messiah. When Israel turned to idols and despised God's law, they were, in fact, rejecting the true gospel. When they defiled God's Sabbath, they were actually rejecting the way of salvation and forfeiting the eternal rest that is found in Jesus Christ. When they offered their children to Molech, they were showing honor to false gods, thereby denying the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the one and only way of salvation. And when they built altars on every hill and under every tree, they were denying the uniqueness of the one altar at the tabernacle and temple, which portrayed the person and work of Christ. Israel's persistent rebellion was really rebellion against Jesus Christ. They rebelled against him in Egypt, in the wilderness, and in the land of Canaan. The Lord drove them from the land and brought them into captivity because the people took no genuine delight in the soul-saving message of salvation. They wanted to be like the Gentiles, like the world, and they failed to see how privileged they were to possess the promises of God and the message of grace. 
Brothers and sisters, these words of Ezekiel to the elders in exile have a lesson for us. We may be tempted to say of Israel, what a rebellious and stubborn people. Why didn't they learn from the past? Why didn't they learn from history? But the question we ought to ask is this, are we any different? Is our generation any different? Is the church of Jesus Christ today any different? Do we honor God's law? Do we apply His word? Do, do we delight in the Sabbath? Is the Lord's day precious to us? Is it a day of spiritual joy and refreshment, a day in which we truly celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ? Is it a day in which we celebrate the great salvation that is found in Him, a day in which we praise God for the forgiveness of sins? Is it a day in which we applaud the eternal rest that is ours in Christ? I am told that there are churches today that are offering abbreviated worship services on other days of the week to accommodate for people's busy schedules. Sunday offers many recreational opportunities that compete with the worship services. By having a service on Friday or Saturday night, people are free on Sunday to go shopping, skiing, sailing, fishing, or golfing. Their day is not interrupted by the worship services. They are not bothered by worship. Some churches are even having their service on Thursday night so that their members can have the whole weekend for their enjoyment without having to be interrupted by the worship of God. Is our generation so different from the generations in the wilderness? Or the generations in Canaan, the human heart has not changed. Isn't the self-centeredness of Israel easily seen today? When the law of God is not convenient, it is often set aside. When the Sabbath is not convenient, it is set aside. When worshiping God in God's way is not convenient, it is set aside. When the requirements of God's Word do not fit with our lifestyle, then the Word is often dismissed. Congregation, I want to remind you today that when Jesus Christ is the center of your life, when He is the most important person, then the law of God is not a burden. The Sabbath is not a burden. The worship of God and the Scriptures are not a burden. When He's the center of your life, then you can say, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I delight in the Sabbath, the sign of your covenant love, the emblem of eternal rest. When Jesus Christ is first place in your life, then you can say, how I love the worship of God. How I love the scriptures. How I long for greater obedience. You see, how we view Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. Do you love Him? Do you wish to please Him? Are you thankful for His willingness to suffer and die in your place? Are you thankful for the gospel that has been revealed to you? One writer said, 
We find ourselves today in the midst of a society that is in headlong rebellion against God and is reaping the fruits of that rebellion in seared consciences and irrationally self-destructive behaviors. We live in the midst of a society of adults and children suffering the traumatic effects of broken relationships, in some cases ending up in alcohol and drug addiction as a means of deadening the pain of their deep sense of rejection and alienation. Others have buried themselves in their work and career, seeking some kind of significance for their lives. Dear friends, when we forsake the law and the gospel, everything unravels. Rebellion inevitably produces pain. When we turn in faith to Jesus Christ, and receive His Word as the authority for our life, everything changes. How we view Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. And so I call you today to consider that great and precious Savior. Don't become distracted by the things of this world, the idols of this world, or the momentary attractions of the world. Live for Christ. Serve, honor, worship, and obey Him. Take pleasure. Take pleasure in the day that He has set apart. And as you live in fellowship with Christ, you will be truly blessed. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Come to me, and you will receive rest for today and rest for eternity. Rest. Come to me. Let us pray. Lord our God, the words of the prophet Ezekiel are certainly not flattering. It reveals your holy indignation against covenant breakers. Lord, it is a wonder that your church can continue to exist. It is all entirely 100% because of your grace. Because like Israel in Egypt, and like Israel in the wilderness, and like Egypt, like Israel in the promised land, we too are prone to wander. So Lord, that your church can continue to be built and thrive is by your grace. So we pray that each one of here may look to that Savior of sinners, the one in whom we have rest. May we love the Lord's day. May we not view it as this legalistic obligation, but as a precious gift, a gift from your loving hand, an opportunity to reflect upon the eternal rest that has been purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. May we delight 
in your statutes and judgments. Knowing the Lord Jesus, may we take great pleasure in your word. So, Lord, we pray that you will purge us, that you will sanctify us, that we might reflect in our life, in our attitude, in our worship, in our observance of the Lord's day, that we might reflect the character of the Lord Jesus himself, the one who came to save sinners, failures, to give us life eternal and soul-satisfying rest. We look forward by your grace to that everlasting Sabbath. We desire to enter that rest. We thank you for the foretaste we have now. And so, Lord, bless the remainder of this day that we may commune with one another, enjoying each other, most of all because of what you have done in us and what you are doing through us. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. I heard the voice of Jesus.